It is game week in the Pac-12. We're going to rank this weekend's games by level of importance. One coordinator in the conference has never coached a game west of Tennessee. How early is too early for a wake-up for Arizona State and USC? And the Pac-12 is going to announce its testing protocols, including how to deal with false positives. How many games will each team play? And what is the projected finish? And of course, we're going to predict the games and keep score so I can dominate Ralph. I'm George Reister. He's Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your energy. And of course, leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, share with a friend. And you can get a hold of us. I'm Matt. I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. And hit us up on Twitter at Pac-12 Apostles or Ralph at Ralph Amsden and me at George Reister. And of course, this is the podcast by Pac-12 fans for Pac-12 fans where you want the real, where you want to get the truth. And of course, most importantly, you want to be entertained. So Ralph, it is game week. How excited are you? Because I, I am just, dude, I, I can't sit still right now. Hey, I'm, I'm just hoping that we get uh, games because things are looking a little scary right now. <laughs> um, oh, you sound like me. I, yeah. I am. How did we flip roles? <laughs> I, I've, I've been excited. Like I would say, I've been more. I, I don't necessarily enjoy the um, the games when unless Pac-12 is on. I think they they kind of enhance everything else for me. And those are the games I watch. So I just check the highlights of the other games. Watching like full Big 12 games is a new experience for me, and I could probably do without spending all day doing that. Uh, same with same with Big Ten, even though I've, I've been impressed with Justin Fields. I just I, I need Pac-12 back, and I'm worried that either the numbers are going to get so crazy that we're going to have to rethink things in the next few days, and or the world will be, burn down on Wednesday, depending on the outcome of the election in either direction and, and how upset people get with things. So I just I, I, I want everybody to stay cool so that we can have some Pac-12 football, please. Dude, how crazy would that be? If the Pac-12 waited to start back, Big Ten waited to start back, and everything got shut down while while everybody, well, the Big Ten only got to play two games. Other teams got five, six, seven games, and the Pac-12 ended up with zero. How depressing would that be? Yeah, that that would be pretty brutal. I just, uh, yeah, <laughs> I really, really, really would like to make it to 9 a.m., I guess 10 a.m. my time. We, You and I already got the time change screwed up because we're recording from two different uh, places now. And uh, I, I just want to be there 10 a.m. and see – I want to live to see kickoff. <laughs> That's it. Dude, it's funny because I was talking to my wife the other day. I said, oh, man, babe. Uh, I told her this on Saturday. I said, babe, the Pac-12 starts next Saturday. She was like, you're pretty excited, aren't you? I was like, yes. And she said, are you sure it's going to happen? I was like, whoa. I was like, don't you be that person. And she said, <laughs> hold up. Who am I talking to? She was like, you're the same person that was, that was, you know, Debbie Downer or didn't think that these things were going to happen. And now all of a sudden you're so optimistic. And I said, babe, 
I'm not optimistic we're going to play all the games. I'm just optimistic we're going to get Saturday. I, I do believe that we will get games on Saturday. I don't know how many games each team is going to play, but we will try to prognosticate. But I do believe that we will make it to Saturday. And if we don't, I will be depressed, dude. If if I don't get a chance to see at least one game from my Oregon Ducks, I'm not going to be happy. I'm I'm going to be honest about that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I I need I need to see Tyler Shuck in action. I need to see this Washington defense. I just want to know who Washington and Utah are starting at, at quarterback. I would like some of the mystery um, stripped away from from what's going on there. Uh, I would really like to see. Uh, <laughs> I would really, really like to see if if Grant Gannell is as good as Pro Football Focus uh, wants him to be. Uh, I want to see if the the diet that Chip Kelly has UCLA on, uh, you know, has them all coming out looking like fitness models or or, or whatever it is, you know, that he's trying to get out of that. I want to see if that hip hop video that USC took down. Um, you know, affects the way that if they had that kind of swag they had in the dance moves uh, in that video, if they have that on the field, I need to, I need to see uh, what these teams are about. And, and so if, if everybody, I'm just, I please, if, if uh, the, the idea of living in a decent world isn't enough to keep you from going out and acting a fool, um, then just do it for me. If you need a reason, do it for me so I can watch PAC 12 football. And I, I will tell you, I have not been like I've enjoyed watching some games. You know, I watch a lot of games from a lot of conferences, but, you know, a game like Baylor and Kansas State just doesn't move me in the 12 o'clock hour. You know, what I mean, like that's that that's not doing it for me. Like I would rather watch Oregon State play Colorado than than watch Kansas State play play Baylor. But I'm down to watch Oklahoma play, down to watch Texas, you know, uh, even a little bit of Texas Tech, depending on who they're playing. But some of these teams, it's just not as much, you know, like the the, the conference, college football is not the same without the Pac-12. And especially in the, in the evening games, when like this weekend, all of them were pretty much a blowout. And then you're like, okay, where is my Pac-12 after dark? I agree. And for me... It's uh, I know most of these kids from, you know, them being recruited from uh, areas that are in the Pac-12 footprint. So for me, it's getting to see a lot of them continue on what I was already watching them build. That's a lot less prevalent in most of the other conferences in the ACC and SEC. I basically have nobody. And so that's why I'm having to watch these Big 12 uh, Mountain West and uh and big 10 games because there's at least a few kids from California, Arizona, uh, West Texas and Colorado and stuff that, that I'm used to seeing. And I can, I can see them go to work, but when it's pac 12 team, I know, I know everybody out there and that's what makes it so much more fun. Yeah. It, it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm super excited about it. Um, but this weekend's games rank your level of, importance for this week's game. So we got first game up. We have Arizona state at USC. We got Arizona at Utah, UCLA at Colorado, Stanford at Oregon, Washington at Cal and Washington state at Oregon state. 
So out of those six games, rank them from one to six in level of importance. I think number one unanimously is the ASU-USC game, right? Am I wrong there? No, no, I would agree with you. I, think, I would definitely say that that's the that that's the the game because it puts somebody in the driver's seat for uh, Pac-12 South supremacy. Um, I think that people are very interested in seeing. You know, obviously Clay Helton has now he's now repeatedly overhyped uh, the Jaden Daniels Keaton Slovis quarterback matchup he he took a little bit of, of uh heat off of it when he said it's one of the better quarterback matchups when before he said it might have been the two best quarterbacks in the country um but i think that th- him hyping those players up in the la market Jaden daniels being from california keaton slovis starring in this hip-hop recruiting video i think that just kind of adds to the to the intrigue it's going to be the first game on it's going to be on uh, national broadcast you've got um, you know, you, you got probably ASU's best defensive back is a USC transfer in Jack Jones. You've got, uh, USC's probably, um, most important defensive back, Isaiah Polamau spurned ASU for USC. Uh, you got Drake Jackson who, um, ASU thought was coming and, uh, and, and did the whole, like, uh, unzip his hoodie and reveal a USC Jersey, you know, underneath and, and making his dad really happy. Cause that's where he wanted him to go. So you got all this recruiting uh, crossover. You got Clay Helton potentially coaching for his job. You got Graham Harrell potentially coaching to get the next big job in college or the NFL. Uh, when, when one opens up, you have a new offensive coordinator for Arizona state in Zach Hill. Jaden Daniels is actually going to play in this game when Joey Yellen, you know, had to start uh, last year. Keaton Slovis threw for 297 yards in the first quarter of last year's game. ASU didn't offer Keaton Slovis. Uh, and so, you know, that adds some some intrigue to it. But I think the most important thing is it just determines who's in the driver's seat of the, the Pac-12 South. There are some people that believe that Utah is a viable option in that conversation. Um, but this will really set the tone, this particular game, into like who Utah has to raise up to challenge. And so um, that's number one for me. What's your number one, George? It's got to, I, I agree with you there. I, I think that for that, but I agree with you for different reasons that, you know, you, you're looking at it just at the Pac-12 South level, right? But if you're USC, the, the Pac-12 can't be your only goal. Yeah, Clay Helton's job is on the line, all that stuff. But this can't be like winning the Pac-12 South, winning five out of your six games. That can't be it because people are actually talking about this as a potential, regardless of whether it's valid or not, as a potential college football playoff team. And they're looking at them. They're looking at Oregon. And you can't be USC and not in that conversation. So I think that that's the – if you lose to Arizona State, bro, you you have a problem. You have now solidified yourself as out of the college football playoff. I mean, you're you're not an upper tier team like the a team that is now stealing some of your recruits is now also putting you in a position to where they're beating you too. 
Dude, USC fans would never live this down, and they would be trying to just even further get Clay Helton fired despite this being a pandemic year, <laughs> buyout still being very high. I mean, what? There, this is the ultimate lose. Like, there is no difference in Arizona. I know Arizona State fans are going to be upset with me for this, but there is no difference in playing this game versus playing Boise State for USC because, like, they have everything to lose and not much to gain. But it's the same thing when they when they play Arizona too, except for Arizona State has a much better chance of beating them. Like Arizona State is is probably better coached. They don't have as quite a, quite as much talent, but they can beat them. So this is everything to lose for USC and not very much to gain. All right. So what I th- I think we should do is we should roll through. Um, Pick the winner, pick the pick against the spread, and then you give me a couple of people that you think are keys to the game, and uh, and then and then I'll do the same, I guess. So um, straight up, what are you expecting to happen in in this game between Arizona State and USC? Ooh, <laughs> okay. So the line is ten and a half. Are are, are you going to keep keep track of these? Yeah, I'll keep track of these. I have the line as as much as eleven. But if you want okay. to go with ten and a half, we can go with ten and a half. Okay. All right. I t- ten and a half. U- USC's favorite by ten and a half points against the spread. I'm taking Arizona State. Um, I'm going to take USC for the win outright. Okay. I think that without a lot of practice, we've seen that defenses are struggling, right? And. Keaton Slovis and all these wide wide receivers, Amon Ross St. St. Brown, Drake London, Tyler Vons, that they should have a, a distinct advantage getting open and all of that. So I'm gonna say that the offense is ahead of the defense right, right now and pick USC to 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 win the game. But I think that ASU's offense as well has an advantage. So I'm going to pick them to win. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, I mean, what is happening right now? <laughs> because I – okay, so I believe that Jaden Daniels is a good court quarterback. But to win games like this against USC, he can't have like a two-touchdown performance. You know what I mean? Like that's not going to cut it because USC is going to score 40 points probably. You think 35 so? points. Yeah, dude, it, it's going to be hard, especially first game of the season. They only scored against- 26 last year? Jaden, a little wait. bit better offensive line, I think. I think losing Austin Jackson matters. I think they'll still I, be okay. Okay, so who do you who do you have at, with and against the spread? Well, uh, so what I remember from last year is USC came out and – ASU was not, did not understand what was happening defensively. Um, they, they absolutely got caught off guard and Keaton Slovis went off in that first quarter. The rest of the game, they held them to like a hundred yards passing. Yeah. They scored 28 points in the first quarter and three points in the third quarter. Keaton Slovis was 29 for 39 for four thirty-two and four touchdowns and a pick. Yeah, and so oh, but, but then Matt, Matt Matt Fink came in too. 
Yeah, he and yeah, Slovis got a little beat up. I think I here's what I think. I think that Arizona State obviously has a new defensive coordinator um, in the co-role of Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce. So it's not Danny Gonzalez. It's not somebody who has um, immediate college experience and the ability to make the adjustments on the fly. I, I, but I don't think all that much is going to change because Marvin Lewis and Antonio Pierce were both there for what happened last year. So I do think there will be some continuity. You have a four-year starter at corner in Chase Lucas for ASU. You have a three-year starter um, in Jack Jones who started one year at USC, then one year at ASU, and this will be his his second year. And then you have two returning starters at safety. You have a really high-profile recruit coming in to play nickel. Merlin Robertson and Darian Butler are, are have longtime linebackers, and most of the defensive line, though inexperienced, has gotten to play a little bit. And the defensive line doesn't really come into play too much against that spread anyway. You just have to make sure that they are, you know, getting their hands up and passing lanes and disturbing as much as they can. But I, I don't think there's going to be a ton of opportunity for uh, sacks in the first place. So you just need to be able to rotate players in. Um, that are going to be able to com- combat what Graham Harrell is doing. I think the ASU showed in those final three qu- – I think if you do something for three quarters, it can be done. And you have to also understand that they'll have Jaden Daniels, who won't need to make any adjustment to game speed or – you know he won't be caught by surprise. And Joey Yellen was really caught by surprise in that first quarter last year, and that allowed you know USC to just kind of get the ball, have a couple more possessions than they might have had otherwise. So – um, because of that, first of all, this line is preposterous. 90% of the money has to be on ASU, right? Uh, I don't know about that, dude. I, I think Why? that people are very high on USC, they, that they believe that they have so I, many re- yeah. re- returners. And Slovis was so – I mean, he was dynamic throwing the ball last year. and you And you have to assume, right, that somebody who was so dynamic, that he got better between last year and as a true freshman and this year. So let's assume that he got better and he's used to throwing the ball 50 times a game. Yeah. The difference between that and Arizona state is like, this is why you've had quarterbacks be very successful in the NFL who are used to throwing the ball a billion times a game. I mean, even Gardner Minshew, uh, Burrow, um, uh, Kyler Murray, like these guys have thrown the ball so many times that they don't feel that pressure about having to throw it so many times versus, you know, like a Jacob Eason or the other kid, Jake Fromm out of Georgia. These kids, like they're not used to throwing the ball so much. And then they get a little bit of anxiety because they're like, oh, wow, I'm throwing the ball a lot because it's not their comfort zone. Like yeah. they, they, they need that security. Yeah. And Jaden Daniels, he's going to be asked to, I mean, b- because I believe that the defenses are going to be a little bit behind, kind of getting caught up, especially everything from tackling to to learning how when things are really sped up to a, a full speed rep and, you know, like you get tired, fatigued, the game is long, the lights yeah. are bright. You know, I think it's a big deal. And Jaden Daniels is going to have to, like how many touchdowns did he throw last last year? Nineteen, twenty-seven, seventeen. 20? I think seventeen. Yeah, 
that that's not going to cut it in the Pac-12 this year. It's not. I mean, even yeah. in seven games, throwing 19 touchdowns is not going to work. Well, they're going to they're going to pick up the pace in the offense. That's uh, but that's just my thing with this line. When have you known a Herm Edwards team to, especially against a primary passing team, to get beat by two scores? Herm Edwards' whole thing is that he makes games close that maybe shouldn't be to give you a chance to win. Well, and, and when have that's you seen, why I picked Arizona when, State against, when was the last time, against the spread. And when, yeah, so that's my point is when was the last time you saw USC go out there and put it on a team they probably should? And I don't think you should count ASU as a team that they probably should put it on. Maybe they should win straight up if you're just looking at the baseline talent and the recruiting rankings. There is a definite advantage for USC there. And if you go through USC's roster, what you're going to find is uh, – Probably 85 to 90% of the players on USC roster, USC's roster have an Arizona State offer. So they're all play they're for the most part outside of Keaton Slovis, you know, they're all players that Arizona State wanted and decided to go to USC instead. You know, so that that should that should tell you what you need to know about the baseline talent level coming in. Then it really becomes about how they develop and, and what they do with the players. And and USC has not done the best job um and you know they, they have obviously they, they have a new defensive coordinator right so they're they're going to be making some adjustments as well we keep talking about whether arizona state's defense is ready for usc is usc's defense ready for uh, a boise state offense to to come in there and give them a, a different look I mean, this is the same offensive coordinator that helped Hank Bachmeyer as a true freshman go put 400 yards on Florida State in week one on the road last year. Is USC ready for that? Yeah, that's a good question. So, all right. So, I guess, so you're taking Arizona State on both sides. Yeah, I'm taking Arizona State on both sides. Um, I think that uh, the, the, the players that matter most for me in this game um, – ASU has for three years basically said, Hey, Frank Darby as a receiver is more than just a nine route guy. Um, you know, and now they, they've lost Nikhil Harry, they've lost Brandon Ayuk, and now the number one receiver is, you know, supposed to be Frank Darby, a, a former two star, um, you know, who's uh, super fast and, and, and covered in muscles and is a high energy guy. You know, they, they got him out of, out of New Jersey. I think he was supposed to go to, um, Iowa and he decommitted and committed to Arizona state. He's been the life of the party ever since. Is he just a Joey Galloway type that has to run under the ball? And in, in, if he's going to be that, will Arizona state's offensive line give Jaden Daniels the time to take shots that deep. I think if Arizona state's going to be successful, that Frank Darby has to be more than just the guy that runs under the, under the deep ball. So for me, he, he's somebody that would be uh, of optimal importance. And then uh, Merlin Robertson on the defensive side, I have faith in Arizona State's defensive backs, but last year Merlin Robertson was supposed to be the the truth uh, at linebacker, and he had kind of a quiet year following a huge freshman season, and uh, they think that he's going to be so good this year that he's going to be able to bounce. They're fully expecting this to be Merlin Robertson's last season. He's going to have to prove it against the highest level of competition. So he's going to have to prove that he can also play in coverage. I think that's the biggest uh, the biggest player on the defensive side of the ball for Arizona State. On USC's side, this comes down to uh, Keaton Slovis for me, um, because if he's really that dude, then he has to show it. He has the receiving talent. 
absolutely has a receiving talent. There's no excuse. Drake London is not somebody that I don't, I think ASU has an answer for. See, at, at see, his but, height. Yeah, but there's a big question about, about him because he supposedly dropped like 20 or 30 pounds. Not sure whether it's because he got sick or because or like, maybe playing some, basketball. Yeah. So he a lot lost of them the, him down to play basketball and he he's on the team. Yeah. So he lost a lot of weight. So now the question is, how is that then going to affect him? Because there's a big difference in being that heavy and being a hand in the ground kind of kind of guy and not. Yeah, he's not that, though. He's more like the the Ricky Seals Jones type from Texas A&M who, you know, you, you kind of line up in the slot and create a, a mismatch. And I'm just I don't think that I don't think that Arizona State really has an answer for him. But Keaton Slovis is going to have to find him. And, and so I put Slovis 1A. Drake London 1B and then on the defensive side of the ball I think that Drake Jackson is somehow not receiving the level of attention that Kayvon Thibodeau is as the Pac-12's best available defensive lineman returning from last season and um, I just don't hear his name as much as as much as I think we should I would put him just under Kayvon Thibodeau uh, as a pass rusher and maybe a little bit above him as a, as a run defender. I think, I think he's elite elite. And if he eats tomorrow, then USC should have, or tomorrow, Saturday, if he eats on Saturday, <laughs> I, Saturday morning after he eats pancakes at four forty in the morning, um, then, then yeah, he should, he should be, uh, uh, USC should be fine. If Drake Jackson has a good game. Well, that, okay. So that leads us to the next point about this game is, the kickoff time, <laughs> Pac-12's first 9 a.m. kickoff game. And everybody knows that that's early. Coffee and football, that's not even enough time to tailgate and get drunk unless you're an alcoholic. But there's also, like, the impact on the players. Like, how is – okay, so the the thing that people don't always pay attention to or even think think about because they're really enjoying their, their games. They're going to make their breakfast at home – being that nobody can go to the stadium, they're going to turn it on at eight eight o'clock or seven o'clock. Watch college uh, game day or watch Big Noon on on Fox. Then they're going to watch the game at nine o'clock. Well, for the players to get to a nine o'clock game pregame meal is at four forty five a.m. That hurts. Like when I was talking about this with Ralph earlier. You were saying, okay, there's a difference in having to wake up at 4.45 or 5 o'clock in the morning and having to be somewhere at 4.45 or 5 o'clock in the morning. I know they don't have to get, get dressed. Well, 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 they do have to have some semblance of clothes on. Clothes, shoes, slippers, something. You have to walk out of your room and be somewhere at 4.45 in the morning. <laughs> and you don't get to go really go back to sleep because you got to go. So... Players will likely get up, they'll eat a little something, they'll go back to their room, go back to sleep, maybe take a nap, and then get over to the, and then head over to the stadium on the 6.30 bus, most likely, get over there by 7, or a little bit before 7, but some players take the the early bus, which would be the 6 o'clock bus, and get over there by 6.30, instead of getting over there by seven and then get ready for the game pregame, all that stuff, and then go play at nine o'clock. So you're already at the stadium 
I mean, mind you, some of these teams practice early, but that's that there's a difference between being ready to compete game level and being ready to compete practice level. They're not they're not going to sleep well. I mean, I saw a quote, a Herm Edwards quote of saying, like, hey, we want to make sure that they rest. I mean, they have had to wait two months longer than almost, you know, most of the early playing college football teams. The the anxiety and excitement surrounding this has to be enormous. There's some of the more sociopathic players that are ready to mount up no matter what in any situation. They're They're going to sleep fine. You know, the Arizona State's going to lose an hour on the way. Um, but I, I think for most of most of most players. One, if you have to get up at 430, there's an anxiety around that. Right. Plus, it's going to be like one of the biggest days ever. Plus, there's the ominence of not knowing whether or not this could be your last game of the season because they have to play with that stupid umbrella over them all of the time. I'm. At this point, I'm like, if you if you choose just not to go to sleep and treat this as like the typical 8:30 at night kickoff, you know what I'm saying? Like, because on those days, the the players have already been up for like 13 hours by the time they take the field, some of them, and so you might as well you might as well just like wake up for the game at five in the afternoon the day before. <laughs> yep. Well, it, that's where all the sleep monitoring and preparing and all that stuff really, really matters because this is for all the marbles. I mean, Arizona State has a chance because, mind you, we just talked about them dropping recruits and all of that. So this is an opportunity for them to say, I have arrived. And this is a opportunity for USC to say, mm, nope, this is this is um, our turf still so I, I i do think that the time even though it's the same well actually it's not even the same for both teams because you have arizona state traveling from tempe which just fell back an hour coming to la to get up and have pregame meal at 4 45 so that's actually what no no, no no it's actually later for them it's 5 45 for them but only by a week do you think there's any advantage in Arizona State's defensive backs being coached by somebody who was on the staff at USC last year? A little bit. Scheme-wise, maybe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because you've seen it in practice so much. And the, and the air raid doesn't change its look. I mean, like, the concepts don't change. It's spacing it's more about the Jimmy's and the Joe's than it is about the actual plays. You know what I mean? Like, so, so they got, they definitely got some Jimmy's and Joe's at receiver at USC. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so we both think that that's the most important game, but then the next game up of the day chronologically is Arizona at Utah. And I am very, very curious about this game because I don't know what to make out of Utah at this point in time. I, I I don't. Yeah. I would, I would call this the third most important game of the, of the opening weekend. Ooh. Okay. So uh, third most. That's where I'm at with it. Yeah. No, no, mm -mm. no, it's, this is, 
fifth most important game for me. God dang. Well, okay. So my level of importance, Arizona State at USC. Then I got Washington at Cal. I'm, I'm there with you for sure. With an argument to be made for maybe it's number one. Okay. Um, and then I got Stanford at Oregon. Okay, that's my number four. Then I got UCLA at Colorado. Yeah, I'm with you there. And then I got Arizona at Utah. And Washington State, Oregon State last. Okay, we we have the same last. My number five is your number four. Um, yeah, everything's just bumped down from me thinking U of A, uh, Utah is is number three. But for the most part, um, we're we're on the same page with a lot of this. This is our biggest difference, I guess, would be this game. Why do you think that there's not really a level of importance there? Well, but for me, the importance is completely one sided, though. Yeah, yeah. See, the, that's why it ranks so low for me, because all of my expectations are on USC or Arizona State to win the Pac-12 South. So that automatically bumps down Utah and level of importance of their game. I don't expect anything out of Arizona, like nothing. I have no expectations. I would be surprised if they win a game if they win a game besides Colorado, I would be surprised. And you um, and I agree that the stakes from Arizona, based on what John Wilner just tweeted out as we're recording this, the stakes from Arizona are probably a lot lower because with the budget shortfall that they're talking about looking at right now, and they're putting on a hiring freeze and even going further to eliminate positions, continuing furloughs, there's absolutely zero chance that they have the ability to afford to move on from this year's coaching staff. So this is probably staff wise, a complete mulligan for U of A. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's no chance. (laughs) There's no chance. And this game is, I mean, if this game weren't, this would be a game that would be on PAC 12 network if it weren't the pandemic. So, but I am curious to see what we're going to get out of Utah cuz looking at their depth chart which was which was weird because I'm looking at their depth chart but Kevin Sumlin didn't re- said he didn't release a depth chart cuz he was upset saying Utah didn't release one but I'm looking at Utah's and their they quarterback huh? more experience on the O-line than we thought, I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah, they yeah, they definitely do. So they got um they got junior, senior, <laughs> well, junior, sophomore, senior, redshirt freshman, sophomore on the on the line, and obviously um uh Brent Brent Keithy um uh, Brent Keithy at tight end and um and Fotherham. They should be fathering Fotheringham. That's a hell of a last last name, dude. Try, try getting it. Try teaching your kid how they to. They got spell all that. those all those poly names uh, that that you have absolutely no problem with on that roster, but you trip over the one British sounding name. I like it. <laughs> Fotheringham. Um, and but we're gonna see who starts at their quarterback, which is gonna be Jake Bentley or uh, what's his name Lisk. So or technically rising is it's a. It's a three-way t- 
high, but Whoa. it looks like they're going to give the my my guess is they give the job to the player that they named captain of the team. Right. <laughs> that that's usually a good sign. So I believe in Kyle Whittingham as a good coach. I got his name right the first time, but that's <laughs> probably because I was reading it. So so it's fine. Um, yeah. So I am unsure. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's the difference between Whittingham and frothing fingers or whatever? <laughs> I've said Kyle Whittingham like at least 50 times. And also I was looking at it. So I didn't, I wasn't even tempted to call him. Uh, I know. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, if you can, if you can get Kyle Whittingham, you can get their tight ends name, right? Yeah. Fotheringham. <laughs> yeah. Fotheringham. <laughs> Dude, so I I just don't I'm unsure about what we're gonna see with Utah after losing so many guys. I mean, just I mean they lost what what they have seven guys drafted no eight, eight guys drafted, and I just don't know, Ralph. I I just don't know if it turns into if they have developed enough guys in the pipeline to where they're gonna be able to step in and be as good as those guys were because. You look at the what you USC and Oregon and Washington kind of do. They more reload than they do rebuild at this point. Okay, so the one thing that Utah does not have is an experienced secondary. You know, right? They're they're for yeah. the most part they're gone, and their defensive line also does not have a lot of experience. So. Tell me how that doesn't give Noel Mazzoni and his perfect quarterback uh, a little bit of an opening to really make a move and show that this offense is capable. See, but you love Grant Grant Gannell. Like, I don't. I don't. I know. I never said. I never said that. Pro football focus loves Grant Gannell. I think Grant Gannell's fine as a quarterback. I think he's perfect. For Noel Mazzoni. He is the Brock Osweiler that Noel Mazzoni has been searching for ever since leaving Arizona State. Okay, so US, I'm sorry, Utah's favored by 14 points in the game. And the game's in Utah. Who you got? I will pick Utah to win this game. I do not think that they are going to cover the spread. I think the defense isn't, I think the defense will be coached up. As the season goes, but I think there's going to be a little bit of an advantage for University of Arizona's offense in this game because they are actually they're they're pretty weak on the offensive line, but they're very talented at running back and receiver. And I think Noel Mazzoni can design a pretty decent game plan, um, you know, with with uh, bubble screens and, you know, taking deep shots every once in a while. As long as they can keep Gunnell upright, I think that he'll be able to get some yards. I think that he'll impress some people, but I think a lot of it will have to do with the fact that Utah is so inexperienced defensively. Uh, conversely, I love, the, like, I think that Utah could really eat on offense this week. I really think they can. Um, defensively, I do not have a lot of faith in Utah. Uh, they just had uh, junior cornerback Bronson Boyd jump into the transfer portal. Um, and, and even, you know, even then the depth of experience on, on, uh, um, as far as their defensive backs, is just not great. I, 
you know, so just the, the defense, I, I'm not impressed with. Offensively, though, Britton Covey is a solid option at receiver. Brian Thompson is a solid option at receiver. Solomon Enos is uh, like, he's incredibly talented. He just needs to find a way to to put it together. They got to get somebody in at quarterback who's going to give him chances to make plays downfield. Um, you know, they've got 60 some games of experience of starting from this offensive line. And I think uh, ultimately, you know, they're going to make the choice to go with Jake Bentley. And I think if they do, he is, I, I think this game could be a little bit of a shootout. Um, but I do not think that the Utes win by more than 14. So I will take U of A to cover Utah to win. So last year's number one scoring defense Utah in conference play. Fit well in the dur- during the regular season. 15 points a game. They only gave up 15 points a game. The worst scoring defense was Arizona last year. 35.8 points a game they gave up. So that's a 20-point difference. I do believe that Arizona is going to be better for just sticking with one quarterback or one style of quarterback instead of um, flipping back and forth between Khalil Tate Amsden and Grant Grant Gunnell. <laughs> and Utah, they're going to have to open the offense up more, but I don't believe in in Arizona at all, dude, at all. And, but then there's the pandemic. The offenses should be ahead of the defense, and we've seen that in other conferences. So I'm going to take, with all that said, I'm taking Utah, and they're going to cover the spread. So get, give me Utah on both sides. Okay. All right, then. Who do you think is is going to be able to make that work for you on, on Utah's side? Who's going to go off? Uh, I, I think they're going to be able to run the ball well. That they're – that either uh, – oh, that Brum, Brumfield, Wilmore, they'll – I love – that's who I love. Their backup running back, Jordan Wilmore, I think he's going to have a monster year. Yeah. And – I just, this is more of me thinking so lowly of Arizona. So (laughs) they, they, uh, they are lost their linebacker, Colin Schooler too. Yeah. They lost, I think their top three returning linebackers. Yeah. Dude. No way. They, they, they may give up 75 points to, to a regular offense. So yeah, I'm very confident about, about them Uh, in terms of, and I do believe that in the special teams area, Utah, as usually, has an advantage there, and they're better coached. Arizona's been a disaster. I'm taking Utah. All right. Uh, I, Nephi Sewell, the uh, the linebacker, Panay Sewell's brother, older brother, I think. Um, isn't he? He's like a year older. Uh, I think yeah. that, yeah, I, I think he could he could be in for a, uh, a good game. I also, um, I've been following Max Tupai, their, their right defensive end out there at Utah for a, a really long time. And uh, he has not done, I mean, he, he, he hasn't lived up to the hype. Uh, they don't usually get um, the higher three-star and four-star recruits out there. They're getting the lower three stars and develop them, you know, them over time. And, and he was supposed to be really good coming out of high school. And uh, he's just sort of patiently waited his turn. So, you know, if, if anybody's going to have a big game, I think it could be him. Yeah. Yep. All right. Um, next game up chronologically, of course, is um, UCLA Bruins at 
Colorado. And in this game, you have UCLA is favored by six points. Who you got, Ralph? Uh huh. That's tricky because of how terrible um, <laughs> UCLA has been early in the season. Every year, oh, that's you just brought something up. Yep. Uh, oh, you you want to you want to touch on it? You saw the uh, the Chip Kelly quote. No, I didn't. I didn't see his quote, but you just really reminded me of Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Cincinnati. <laughs> um, yeah, they have been bad in the oh San Diego State. Yeah, they've been bad the last two years in the beginning of the season. Just atrocious. Yeah, I I don't have a lot of faith in Colorado because I don't I don't know what they bring to the table offensively. Um, and, and that's not to say I don't understand their personnel because I do. What I don't understand is how they're going to use these players, especially going up against, um, you know, the, the, the monster defensive coordinator, Jerry Azanaro. <laughs> well, is, is, oh, is, oh, that was, oh, that was very f- facetious, but I mean, th- this is also a team with a quarterback situation in flux, whether they're going to go with Sam, Sam Neuer, Lytle, Lewis Chandler, anybody could walk out that door or finish or finish the game as the starting quarterback. You think so? I, I think Tyler Lytle probably fits with what they've had the last few years of just having a really big body back there. Not that Sam Neuer isn't also very large. Um, but I, I don't I don't think anyone that they're that they have is is really much of a dual threat. A lot of this is going to come down to, you know, can they find a way to move the ball? I'm trying to rack my brain and think back on Carl Durrell's tenure at, at UCLA and what, he, you know, what his teams looked like and were able to do. And I, I guess that there's some level of intrigue in this game that is Carl Durrell returning to the Pac-12 and then playing against the team that fired him? Or has it been so long that who cares? Dude, or or I, was there, or is there so much, because there's no bad blood there. They, he was one of those guys where they were like, nice guy, but we got to get better. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with that. And I, I just am, okay, maybe I'm hoping against hope, but UCLA and Chip Kelly have to get better, right? Dorian Thompson Robinson was better last year than he was as a freshman. He still was, you know, making terrible mistakes at times where, you know, he'll do eight things right and then two things just just bonehead and terrible. So that's where where he's at. But they've moved Demetric Felton to running back, I believe, full time. And he'll he'll probably still get a little bit of wide receiver action you know like this is a team that chase chase coda should step up at wide receiver i just i just have significant questions about this defense and this offensive line because they've had players transfer out i you know you ucla's defense is probably going to give up a billion points because jerry has an still i mean he hasn't been good since he's been defensive coordinator there so UCLA is favored by six points. I think that this ends up 
an extremely high scoring game. I mean, I'm talking about like close to the fifties and UCLA scores a late touchdown, wins it by seven points or barely hangs on. Yeah. By seven points, like on a return or a field late field. Yeah. They're going to win by six points and that's going to be it. So I'm actually expecting a push, but I'm going to take UCLA for the win and with the points. I am looking, I'm looking at UCLA's depth chart right now, and I see four sophomore offensive linemen starting. Um, one of them, Sean Ryan, I think is going to be a star. Uh, the rest of them, I'm not so sure about. I think anybody who would say that they are is making it up because they, you know, that we, we just don't have a ton of evidence for that. Um, Demetric Felton, I don't know if he's in every down back. We'll find out. I, I, he's definitely got the talent. To, to do it. And I think this would be the year to do it uh, with, with, you know, so few pack 12 defenses really set on what they're going to look like. Um, I'll tell you what, I, I love the linebacking core for, for UCLA. Um, well, the, well, you should, they got a billion of them. They do have a billion of them, but you know, Bo Calvert, I think has an opportunity uh, to be special on the, the inside Lenny uh, Toyoloa is smaller in stature. He's 6'1", 215 inside linebacker, but he is a playmaker. And so um, I don't expect their defensive line to do much. It's re- it's really going to be in how they're used and things are, are schemed. Uh, they, they have a couple of good defensive backs, but nobody who really jumps out to me as a as a playmaker. And so it's going to be a matter of, you know, can they just put these players in position to succeed? And I don't think week one is going to be the, the, the time that they really get tested. Um, so I mean, I, I can see, I can see uh, you, you think both teams in the fifties, you think that wild of a game? I, I think for 53, 43. Man, I don't even know if both of these teams have the offensive firepower to do that if you didn't line up a defense on the other side of the ball. <laughs> that they would drop balls, fumble or something all by themselves. Yeah, right. That yeah, some Daniel Jones action. But I'll I'll go ahead and give UCLA the benefit of the doubt that they can at least get to 30. I don't think Colorado can. I'll give them I'll give UCLA 10 points and the win in this game, just because I have more faith in what they're able to do offensively. I think if they move Demetric Felton around, I think if they respect the fact that Dorian Thompson Robinson is a unique weapon and, and do maybe what the, what, you know, send him out on some designed stuff to get him out running. Um, I think Chase Coda is special. I really yeah. do. Um, but I don't think he's a catch and run receiver. I think he's a go up and get it guy. And so, you know, if you can have him just kind of spying what uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson is doing in the pocket, make sure that he's he, he breaks loose. You know, anytime uh, there's a, a, a broken play um, and he can be the guy that that Dorian Thompson Robinson uses as an outlet down the field, then that can keep some drives alive for them. Um, I don't see UCLA's defense this year doing a ton of taking the ball away. You know, there might be some turnovers from them being in the right place, but I don't see a lot of playmakers on this UCLA defense. I think that you'll see a much different starting lineup by week three or four if we get there than you actually have in week one because they've got, I mean, serious inexperience. Look at their outside linebacker, Damian Sellers. He was in high school last year. 
you know, that's going to be, you know, Quentin Lake at safety over Elisha Gidry that could flip. Um, you know, he's, he's got more size, but I think Gidry could end up being the better player. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested in this, this kind of a boring UCLA team top to bottom outside of the, the, the quarterback and some of the volatility slash excitement that he's brought the last couple of years. Uh, someone, there's plenty of room for somebody on this team to make, make a name for themselves because uh, looking at it at the surface just kind of makes you want to yawn a little bit. But the only team that makes me feel even more so is looking at Colorado's roster. And so uh, I would give, you're looking at two teams, two teams that gave up over 40, I'm sorry, it gave up over 30 points a game last year. And, you know, they didn't make major, I mean, UCLA didn't make major changes. Yeah. So no. No, I'm not. I'm not falling for the banana in the tailpipe, dude. I don't believe you. Um, is Nate is Nate Landman still? Yeah, yep. Nate Landman still. Still kicking, he, buddy. Do you think? Do you think? Well, he, and you know, sometimes high tackle stats are not indicative of skill. Um, but do you, do you think he has a pretty good chance to lead the whole conference this year? Yes, dude. They're always going to be on defense. People are going to be able to try to run the ball on them. That's prime setup for him. Easy, easy pickings. <laughs> am I am I reading this correctly that they're the players that they recruited to play nose tackle are 6'6", 325, 6'2", Am I reading that correctly? Um n- no. No. So Terrence Lang is 6'7", 285. The nose tackle is 6'6", 325, and the other defensive tackles, 6'2", 290. Yeah, I was talking about the nose tackles behind uh, um, Jalen there. Lloyd Murray, 6'2", 390, freshman. Am I reading that correctly? No, no, it says three 300 on the oh. uh, official Colorado. <laughs> I, mu- I must have like a smudge on my computer screen. I was like, God dang. They, they, these <laughs> kids need, they, they need to get on that UCLA diet. Right, right, because they are clearly not even good, not spending enough on money. I mean, on food. Um, next game up. Probably, you know, obviously a very important, important game. Um, Stanford at Oregon. And this is this is a big game, dude. This is a big game for uh, obviously for. In terms of who I care about <laughs> the, the most, but it's also a big game because it's on ABC with Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler and Maria, Maria Taylor calling it. But it's also the conference's second best chance of getting a team in the college football playoff. And kind of the 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 lead horse in the conference right right now. So you want to present a good product on there. They're returning a bunch of people on defense. The defense looks really really good. Um, still, even with uh, Thomas Graham being gone and Javon Holland being gone, like the defense still bo- st- still looks very, very formidable. Now on the because um, they they still returned to well they they still returned Falau, um, Diamador Lenore, and Jordan Scott, who are all projected to be NFL draft picks as well and that's to go along along with Kayvon Thibodeau uh, Mesa Funa who played really well last year it's a big deal the only questions that they have are 
I mean, obviously, you need a quarterback to win. So they have Tyler Shug, who is the starter, who's going to start the game. And then they have Anthony Brown, the transfer, who should be – who all reports have said he's been pretty good. The running back room appears to be stable with C.J. Burdell. And the uh, the tight end should be good. The wide receivers should be good with Johnny Johnson, Pittman, and Red. Now, the offensive line, that's where the question mark is. Because you lose Penesul, that's a that's a big deal. You know what I mean? Of course, yeah, of course it's a big deal that they've they've got they're basically revamping their entire system. I don't I I don't I don't not a lot of confidence is inspired in me when I look at their depth chart and I see that two different uh that both tackle positions could be either player. Right? Like why? Why are we in a situation where you don't know if your right tackle is going to be your left tackle or your left tackle is going to be your right tackle for both George Moore and Steven Jones. That just shows how versatile they are, Ralph. Are you sure? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm it's going to be, and, and their depth chart honestly is nonsense outside of like, like the idea that Tyler Shuck or Anthony Brown is going to be like, come on, come on. Really? Are you personally offended by that? Well, it's it, any basically anybody who's doing this right now. You expect us to believe that five days from game day, you don't know who your starting quarterback is going to be? Yes, they know. And the, Tyler Shug is taking the first snap. I can let you know that right now confidently. Aside from him having a Tyrod Taylor uh, sabotaging I- incident, He'll he'll he will start the game. <laughs> oh man, uh, poor poor guy. Um, but yeah, but what? So then that, but that's a start. That is a start. So what is the point of this? What's the point of this? Is it? I don't. Is it to keep Anthony Brown's not going to transfer again? He doesn't have the room to do it. it. Are they trying to get the other team to try to prepare for him? It, it doesn't. In this day and age, I think as a defensive coordinator. Uh, at Stanford going into this, you have to say like, all right, well, all indications are it's going to be Tyler Shuck. We can't really prepare for him anyway, because he's never started a a game before. So we just have to do what it is. We're going to do. You have to understand that as Oregon, there's no gamesmanship in it. When, when you're talking about probably starting a quarterback who there's not really going to be a ton of film on. I did. This stuff just doesn't make sense to me. Like, just tell us who's starting at quarterback. Who cares? Coaches care, Ralph coaches care. Um, so, so Oregon corny. is fa- so corny. <laughs> Oregon is favored by 11 points. They obviously have a brand new offensive coordinator, which I am happy Marcus Arroyo was gone. Happy he's down at UNLV with their new fresh black uniforms because he was very average. And yeah, how, how much is your opinion of Marcus Arroyo reinforced by every weekend of watching LA Chargers football? Oh, dude, everybody who watched, who's seen how Justin Herbert has played is like, what the hell were they doing with him in Oregon then? I mean, every single person like, what the hell was going on? Because you had Marcus Arroyo at, um, at coordinator. And I tried to tell people this for so long. 
The issue with him was, and I was talking to a Pac-12 offensive coordinator about this. He asked me, what did I think? And I was like, Arroyo in his June in in uh, Herbert's junior year, he didn't use enough scat protection, which is a free release of the back. So you have five people out on a route. And teams knew that if they blitzed, that the back would stay in so they could get more pressure. And they rarely screened to, to slow down pass rushes. And then they were always throwing straight at the sticks. So teams sat on everything. So that made Herbert look bad. And then in addition to the fact that he was not throwing the NFL wide wide receivers. He'll have one the whole time he was there. That a guy that got drafted. I mean See, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up because I do like their wide receivers. I think that that makes for some good college wide receivers, but I think the weakest point of this Oregon offense heading into this year is, you know, Jalen Red, Micah Pittman, and Johnny Johnson, they're gonna they're gonna be fine to start, but there's no height there. You're, yeah, but you're it's, basically it's still an upgrade over what they have been having, though. But yeah, but so you have you have no real height there. I mean, Br- Brian Addison needs to find a way to get back in the mix um, here. But y- you have no real height. You have a lot of speed with Jalen Red, but you don't know if they're going to use it appropriately, um, or if it even can be used appropriately after what you saw with uh, with Marcus Arroyo, and 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 so it, it it's really inter- It's going to be really interesting to see if they use these pieces the way that they should, because toward the end of last year, I'm watching Johnny Johnson lay out for passes 35 yards down the field. When Johnny Johnson's forte is get him the ball in a bubble and let him drag a couple of tacklers for eight or nine yards yeah. to help, you know, and then you had, you had health issues with, um, with, with Pittman. It, I think I just look at that. I see that as their weakest point, And I don't think that Hunter Campmoyer is a good receiving tight end. I think he's a good blocking tight Well, end. yeah, but it's it's Cam, it's Cam McCormick who's finally healthy again. Um, so Oregon's favored by eleven points. I got the Ducks uh, easy cruise because oh, we we didn't even talk about Stanford. Stanford sucks. Like they, oh really? Like, <laughs> no, they do, dude. Like they they have not been able to run the football for the last two years. Intellectual brutality is broken. And the only way I'm going to say that Stanford doesn't suck is if they come out and they stop trying to play the way that they used to play football. I think that Davis Mills, obviously from Georgia, he's a senior five-star quarterback. They have some talent left on this roster. They, they had like 14, 15 guys transfer that could have been playing this season. There's no way, Ralph, there's no way that you can field a good team with, with these elements around it. I, I, think, I just. You don't think a good quarterback can elevate the whole team? Not if, not if you're playing run and punt football. No, no, because they weren't able to run the football last year. Stanford you, and David Shaw have been predicate. Their whole everything has been built on running the football. And if they can't run the football, they're nothing. Yeah. So they maybe, can. Maybe they, maybe, maybe they'll change. Not having Walker Little is I a just really big deal. I think that. No, Correct. Well, I don't think you, I don't think you can. Here, here, let, let me ask you this question. Because 
Well, I do think that Walker Little matters more to Stanford than Panay Sewell matters to Oregon. That's not to say he's a better player, but it, it's just to say that Oregon has more talent backing up Panay Sewell than, than Stanford has backing up Walker Little. And also they lost Henry Haddis to Arizona State. There, there's a bunch of issues with, with the grad transfers. We talked about it ad nauseum. But I will ask you this, George. Do you think, because of all the hype surrounding Jaden Daniels against Keaton Slovis, do you think it's very possible that the quarterback battle that actually entertains us the most on Saturday is Davis Mills against mystery Oregon quarterback slash definitely Tyler Shuck? <laughs> um, it, again, it goes back to the style of play that, that Stanford chooses to play. Are they going to, you know, try to run the ball on first down, second down, get into the weird, uh, you know, bringing in three offensive linemen and a fullback and, you know, and try to play, you know, on third and one and just run over people? No, those those days are over. Football doesn't work like that. Georgia is seeing it right now. That's why they can't beat Alabama no matter what. Um, Nick Saban changed his offense because it didn't it doesn't work. Jim Harbaugh kept trying to do it at Michigan. He's had to abandon that. David Shaw is the last of the Mo- Mohicans, and we haven't heard anything about their offense changing. So until that does happen, give me st- give me Oregon. Yeah, I-, I would take them plus 15. I'm sorry, minus 15 in this game, dude. So there's that. Would you... <laughs> Would you do you think that the potential exists? This is such a dumb question, and I deserve to be ridiculed for it. But do you think that the potential exists that there is some type of curse at Stanford that does not allow the team to go into the middle of the season with the quarterback that was highly regarded heading into the season? Because if you think about it, ever since Andrew Luck left, we've basically seen quarterbacks look promising and then something happens and then their backup comes in and is just good enough to keep that previous player off the field. That's not going to happen to Davis Mills, is it? It, 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 It might. I mean, Jack, Jack West, might be walking through that door, buddy. Jack West. So who do you who do you have winning the game? <laughs> Definitely not. Did you watch Jack West last year? It's not. Yes, happening. yes, he was atrocious. Who? So who do you have? Oregon's minus eleven. <sighs> I, I at least feel like this line's more appropriate than the Arizona State USC line. Um, give me. Oh man, I hate betting against Stanford, especially early in the year. Give me Oregon twenty-four to ten. So I guess I would say that they. 24 points. Dude, if Oregon can't score more than 24 points, they 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 have a problem. They have a problem. What if, if it's just a ma- what if it's just a matter of ball control? I mean, Stanford can't have- control the if Stanford can't control the ball that much, that means they're getting a ton of first downs, eating up the clock. That means that they're going to score more points. So, yeah, so like like you can't have one with the one with the other. So how upset are you going to be, even if Oregon wins, if they score under 30 points? Very. I'm going to be very concerned because that means that Cal and Washington are now toss-up games. Like games that you thought that you should win? Mm, yep, yeah, nope. I would, would not feel very promising about that. But then that leads to the next game. Washington at Cal. Cal is favored by a point. Off the rip, I'm going to tell you, Ralph, just off jump. Give me Cal straight up 
I know they lost one of their most important coaching pieces in uh, Gerald Alexander, who's now coaching for the Miami Dolphins, who's doing quite a good job with the defensive backs over there. Okay, so Washington, they have not announced their starting quarterback yet. So we're looking at either Ethan Garbers or Dylan Morris or Jacob Sermon or Kevin Thompson. So I don't know, man. I Last year, all Washington fans, we're going undefeated. We got uh, Jacob Eason. And I was like, slow down. And you chose up with Jacob Eason. And I told you, I watched him at Georgia. He was nowhere near as good as everybody thought he thought he was. Uh, the kid, Kate Otten, at, at tight end, good. I like him. Their offensive line should be good. They're, um, they're young at right tackle and at left guard. But still think that this should be a, a solid group. But most importantly, their defense. Because their defense was young last year. Um, they got but a they return on nine starters, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's why I expect their defense to be so good is because they started so young last year and now mixed in, they have, what, four seniors starting. So, and that's it. Everybody else is underclassmen. So this should be a significantly improved defense. And I expect this to be one of the more formidable defenses in the Pac-12. And the question is their offense. Like, that's where all the, the questions about this team lie right now. Do you think the personality of this team is going to change at all with Jimmy Lake being being the head man in charge? They better hope it's in a positive way because uh, the, the last couple of years, their offense has let them down. Coach Pete is ultra conservative, was ultra conservative. And I think that that's what led to some of their losses was – like they used to shift at motion, trying to control the clock. And one thing that we know analytics has taught us that the, that there is no correlation between winning and losing and time of possession, no correlation. There is a correlation between uh, the, the biggest one is turnovers and then it's scoring on special teams, defense, like things like that. That correlate when people get to talking about time of possession, nobody cares, dude. Like nobody cares. Like you see teams put up forty points with way less time of possession just because they scored quickly, and the other team is plodding down the field and get blown out. That it does not mean anything. I think that uh, I think that Washington's defense being experienced is huge. I think that Jimmy Lake still being there, the continuity will make that defense formidable. They were recruited very well. They have a lot of talent. And I think that University of Washington fans should be very excited about what they're bringing to the table defensively. I also think that it would be just nice to see a shift from, you know, the Washington defense the last few years has been kind of like, hold your breath and hope they make a big play. Yeah. Um. I think that they could they what I think you'd want to see them make that shift into just having that attitude and that swagger of like we're going to come in and we're going to set the tone instead of like it the whole thing's going to be a little bit of a high wire act you know um but the most important probably the most important hire in the entire conference um for any of these coaches last year might be 
replacing Bush Hamdan with John Donovan as offensive coordinator. You mentioned that in the open. This is a guy who has not ever professionally coached west of the state of Tennessee. He's in a very new environment, a very new culture, and they're hoping he brings a very, very new dimension to what they're trying to do offensively. Yeah, and but on, on the other side with Cal, though, I'm looking they, at they wanted I'm, Kellen Moore. Do you think? Do you think that that would have been a, a better hire? Because that that was who they targeted, right? They wanted well, Kellen how Moore. How are you going to take a, a coordinator from a, a NFL team? Stop it! Like that was unrealistic to begin with, anyway. But they did. They did, and, and I don't think he was a coordinator in Jacksonville. But they did. Uh, they did get him from the Jaguars. Um, he's working with, with Leonard Fournette out there. Um, but I don't know. He, he has experience at Penn state. He was out there with Saquon. He obviously does not have that type of weapon. Um, and Kamari Pleasant was named the starting running back for Washington. Uh, he's somebody that committed to Arizona state to play corner. And then they, they did not accept his commitment and he ended up a running back out at Washington. I'm genuinely surprised that, you know, he 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 kind of he kind of waited it out and and is the 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 starting back along with Sean McGrew. Um, that's the biggest boom or bust position for University of Washington because if they can't run the ball and they're breaking in a new quarterback trying to pass the ball, then they're really going to have to rest on their defense this year. And I don't know if it's a championship defense. Yeah, we'll we'll see. And but on the other side with Cal though, I mean. Justin Wilcox has been doing a phenomenal job there. It's his fourth year. They got a new offensive coordinator, which should help dramatically because their offense was always the problem. They got Bill Musgrave, who um, he was our offensive coordinator for a bit in Jacksonville. I think his system is more suited for college than the NFL. So I anticipate him doing really well. Peter Sermon's in his second year as defensive coordinator. Uh, Cameron Bynum at, at cornerback. He's going to be an NFL draft pick. Their running back situation, Christopher Brown Jr. And Mar- Marcel Dancy from last year. And most importantly, their quarterback. This is a guy who you did not believe in, Chase Garbers. Chase Garbers. I believe in him. He could turn out to be the best quarterback in the Pac-12 in 2020. I, I firmly believe he's got that type of talent, and that's why I got Cal on both sides of this. Who you got? Man, it just because it's election season doesn't mean you can say something that's not true over the course of a year and have people eventually start believing it. I am not a Chase Garbers doubter. I am not. I'm not as high on him as you are. I I don't think like I don't think he has prospects beyond being a very good quarterback. At Cal, there's there's nothing about him to me that's transcendent. He just needs to be what they need him to be. A tough, hard-nosed leader who who bleeds their colors and, and gets this offense going. And as long as they can keep him healthy, then this offense has a chance to do a lot of damage this year, especially bringing back Christopher Brown and Marcel Dancy because they both played a big part in the offense last year. You and I have talked a bunch about how Nico Remigio is – maybe the most important offensive player in the entire conference, because if he doesn't step up and take over as a number one receiver, who is going to on this? Do do you see anybody on this offense that you look at and say, Oh, that's a, you know, 
that that's a thousand yard receiver, 10 touchdown guy. No, not at all. Nope. Not even, <laughs> not even a little bit, bro. Not even a little bit. Um, yeah. Love so, so who are you taking in the game, Ralph? Don't be the poli- politician. Cal's uh, favored by a point. I think it's, I think it's fair to go to Cal. I think it's fair. To, I, I, I do because this is going to sound, this is going to sound lame, but whoever starts at quarterback for Washington um, has to worry about Brett Johnson. And I've told you that I think that both of those running backs are probably not starting caliber. Um, I don't think either running back at, at Washington would be in the top four on Oregon's depth chart. And I think that's an issue. So um, if they're not out there able to move the ball through the air immediately, and we can't say that they will be because we don't even know who they're going to be playing at quarterback, and they're not able to run the ball, and I really don't think that they'll be able to on on Cal's um, front seven. And I know I know they lost the leading tackler, linebacker, and everything like that. They'll be fine. Trust me. Um, the The whole thing is how much does Cameron Bynum and Elijah Hicks step up in the defensive backfield to make plays? I think they'll be okay. Uh yeah, I I think that this is I I think Cal's defense I would put as maybe tied for the second best defense in the Pac-12 North. Um I mean, you can even make an argument that that they could potentially be the best even though there's some ex- inexperience in in the defensive backfield and I just think I think their defense is going to be too much for for Washington. I I, I see a low-scoring game maybe a, a you know 21 to 16 or something like that in favor of Cal. And you said Cal's a 1 point favorite, but that that's got to be new, right? Cal being a favorite going into this game? Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh yeah, I I definitely um agree with that. Um the last game up though. We got Washington State at Oregon your, State. Do we do we get your pick? Yeah, I, p- I picked pick? it a long. I picked it like ten minutes ago, twice. Right, I'm cow, sorry. cow. I'm sorry. All right. All right. <laughs> Washington State at Oregon State. Oregon State is favored by a point and a half, and they named uh, Jebbia as their starting quarterback for Oregon State. Okay. And the game's in Corvallis. No fans. Who you rocking with? Oof. Um, these are two very good coaches as far as the offensive game planning. I think this game, hopefully this game is, is explosive. Um, your boy at running back for Washington state. Do you, I mean, do you think, think he, he can put together a, a, a little run maybe at, at, uh, if not pac 12 player of the year, you think maybe at first team at, at Washington state. Yeah. Oh, isn't, isn't, oh, 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 the, uh, the, the, uh, white kid. Um, oh Lord. Why can't I remember his name right the now? The one that was all fired up about, uh, about the hire and the one that you hyped last year saying Mike Leach needs to get him the ball more. Oh, Max, Max Borgie. Yeah. I like Max Borgie, dude. I, I, I think he is Christian McCaffrey light. Do not say, do not hear me saying that he is like Christian McCaffrey. I said Christian McCaffrey light, L-I-T-E, uh, not might as, well, light. might as well just throw Rex Burkhead in there, a little bit of Danny Woodhead. 
<laughs> I'm trying to give a, a correct. Any other, any other white multi? You, you, would you want to compare and contrast him with Sean McGrew? No, dude. It, I think that that's a fair comparison. He's he's good out of the backfield. He's good if you hand him the ball. He's a utility player. Like he is okay. Okay. He would you, would is, you say he's, he's scrappy? No, he's James White. <laughs> he's James White for the Patriots. Okay. Okay. That's who he is. A black guy too. All right. That All makes right. you feel better. But um, still the last name though. <laughs> I had to get it in some kind of way. Um <laughs> But and, I, I think that's that's going to be the best player on the field in this game. I mean, yeah, will Rolovich also a good use running him game? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. He ran the ball at Hawaii. It was more of a run and shoot than a than than a, than a true spread. I think twenty twenty touches is something that you should be your baseline expectation for for Max Borgie and I don't really see I think that if Washington State comes in and they really try to set the tone run the ball and they don't have to pass all that much you negate Hamilcar Rashad and you that that's really the only uh, I mean outside of the the um the the cornerback tandem from last chance you that's <laughs> that's really uh the, the only known name on this Oregon State defense, I mean, they, they Oregon State has a defensive end that's not terrible, but this this entire Oregon State defense is gonna it's gonna be an all heart defense. It really is. It's it, they're gonna completely rely on making plays, hopefully bending but not breaking, um, and then they're gonna have to hope that their offense can keep pace. And I think Rolovich can come in, feed Max Borgie, um, and I I. I think Washington State can get this game won. I like Washington State. Who would you say was a favorite? O- Oregon State's favorite by a point and a half. Yeah, I don't. I don't like that. I I think that. Uh, I mean, sh- shout out to five foot five Champ Fleming starting at the like X receiver out there for for Oregon State. I think that they're going to have to really primarily rely on their running game as well. They got a good center. Uh, the University of Arizona transfer, um, Nathan Eldridge. Um, they, they, they've got a good running game. I think Jebia can make some tough throws, but I don't think he's going to be like Jake Luton. Shout out to Jake Luton, who is starting for the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, this week, by the way, uh, in Jacksonville. Dude, but, um, and how I, dare you? How dare you talk about Oregon's height at wide receiver when Oregon State is starting their champ Fleming at 5'5", five, five, the guy behind him is 5'9". The guy behind him is 5'11". And then behind 5'11", Colby, Colby Taylor, is 5'8 guy. Come on, man. <laughs> Get out of here. You know, I, I, I like Champ Fleming's. Uh, at 5'5", five, five, five five, 141 pounds, it is absolutely wild that he's a starting wide receiver in the Pac-12. Um, I, I'm a big fan of my guy, Colby Taylor, who is a starting at, at wide receiver out there. He's a really, really good possession guy. Um, and again, I'll, I'll keep mentioning it. Jamar Jefferson and, and the running game could really be what fuels things for, for Oregon state this year. But I think it is absolutely terrifying that champ Flemings is holding four star Tyjon Lindsay out from being a starter, uh, in, in this offense, like, <laughs> Ah, uh, that 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 really hey. worries me. Oh, oh yeah. and the guy I was looking for on their defense, Isaac Hodgins, he's pretty good. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, this is going to be, um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. This is going to be a rough year for, for Oregon state. Uh, lucky for them. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. I think that, uh, I believe in Nick Rolovich as a, as a head coach. I think that he will establish the run. I think Max Borgie, um, and that offensive line will set the tone. And I think, uh, Washington state's got some decent players left over, um, in, in the defense. I would take Washington state's defense over this Oregon state defense, even though I think the top level talent with uh, Hamilcar Rochelle. Oh, I was waiting on you to mention yeah, no, that no, no, name. No. I thought you were going to miss your, miss your adopted son. Hamilcar would I Rashad not? Amsden. You always act like it's a surprise. Like I bring him up, like he didn't lead the country in tackles for loss. Is that not a good thing? Is that not a good stat? Oh, he, he is. He's a, he's a decent player. Would he? So what you would he start at Oregon this year? No. Are you serious? I'm serious. He would not start an outside linebacker for Oregon. I, uh, iffy, bro. Iffy. I mean, who who would he start over? M- Mesa Funa. I don't know. It's your question to answer. Well, actually, actually, he just yeah, led if, the country in tackles for loss. Okay, I'm gonna give him. Okay, he can, he can start over <laughs> Drew Mathis, who who has no starts yet. Okay, so yes, he would start on Oregon. I'm I, I'm I'm picking Washington State in this game, and to uh, I mean, should I? Obviously, they're going to cover because they're going to win. So you turned on your people. Wow. I did not. I I did not. I did not. I, your, I turned on your family, Ralph. Wow. You know, I guess my family. The, I Oregon State has like four players I believe in, and the rest I I'm not sure if they would win the Mountain West. All right. Well, what? what okay. Take. take I'm going I'm to give you three players. I'm going to give you three names to take off of this Oregon State team. Three names, okay? If you took their center, Nathan Eldridge, who has lots of experience as as a starter, and you took, let's go with uh, Jamar Jefferson and Hamilcar Rashad, just those three players off this Oregon State roster, do they win the Mountain West? Versus Boise State? No, absolutely not. Sorry. So how, how, how are you going to say I turn my back? My, this isn't even a team that would win the Mountain West. I think Washington State would win the Mountain West. I don't know about – you know a lot more about Rolovich and believe in him a lot more than I do. I'm still in the prove-it stage, buddy. I'm still in the prove-it stage with, with – with Even though you, you saw Rolovich. him beat Oregon State last year, you saw him beat U of A last year. Got to – like Hawaii-level talent. It's different when you got to do it and you got to show up every single week. Um, yeah, so I'm taking the Cougs to beat the Beavs as well, even though the Beavs are favored by a point and a half. Uh, the last thing that we got up today, Ralph, is just the sheer number of games because some teams are going to play different amounts of games in different conferences. Wisconsin is looking super shaky right now. They may miss their second straight week, which means that they will just miss a game, period. They'll have one less game played. So who, how many games do you think, how many teams do you think play all seven of their games? They're six plus one. 
And which teams do you think are most likely to miss a game? I'm going to take the Pac-12 conference commissioner's word for it for the first time in my life and believe that the partnership with Quidel allows them the ability to isolate players who test positive, contact trace, rapid test, and play these guys. Because why have the partnership if we don't at least have policies in place that would cause you to not need to shut the entire team down for 10 days the way that Wisconsin did? Like, th- this has to be – you had to have had that press conference and – and pushed uh, Quidel, even though they already had partnerships with other schools. You had to, it had to have been for a reason. What reason, if other than to make sure that if they actually embarked on a season, that the games could be played? So I am going to say that even though the numbers are absolutely horrifying, I think that most of these Pac-12 schools will do a really good job, and everyone will get to play seven games. We might see some major, major players have to sit out. We also might see some major, major players not be able to get their footing in how weird this season is and bail on the team right after the gameplay starts, just like half of the the Mississippi State team has left on Mike Leach. I think that that's a possibility as well. Um, but I, I think everybody gets their games played. I have to be... I would, I'm, I'm not planning for failure. Absolutely not. I see that it's happened to Baylor like six different times. I saw what happened with, 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 with Wisconsin. I know that other teams have, have had this issue, but I am going to, for the first time in a long time, I'm going to trust Larry Scott to make sure that these teams are prepared to get this season in the books. Because if not, the excuse to keep him on board went from zero to gross negligence and hopefully criminal prosecutions. <laughs> Dude. Yeah. So I, I don't believe Larry Scott, but I do believe that these teams are going to be as vigilant as possible. I think that you're going to have certain teams do everything that they possibly can to play. Like even if, even if, you know, Oregon has guys out, they're going to fight tooth and nail to play. Right. Even if they have to send a team out there shorthanded because they can beat some team short, shorthanded. Same thing with USC, particularly as the season goes on. So they're going to try to get as many games in as possible. But I do think the conference is going to be flexible enough that if you have two cancellations that they may pair those teams up. So there, so there's definitely other options as well to get all the games in. So I think that all but two teams play all seven games. I don't know which teams those will those will be, but if we get ten out of twelve playing seven games, I'll be happy. All right. So who is winning the North and who is winning the South? Ducks winning the North. USC's winning the South. They play week seven. Ducks win. Ducks go to the college football playoff undefeated 7-0. Okay. Uh, I am... I'm actually picking ASU to run the table. Are you just tired of ASU fans saying that you say bad things about them? Um, I mean, the answer is yes, but I'm not just... (laughs) I think that the possibility exists 
for I you know I don't I don't necessarily trust Herm Edwards to not keep every game so close that they don't that they don't lose one. But I also I'm just a really big believer in the defensive backfield, George. I really am. I think that it is not only with the defections from Oregon, the most talented. I think it's also currently the deepest. And I think that also having the experience that they have at linebacker, uh, th- this defense, it, it's everything's predicated on whether or not Jaden Daniels takes the field because they don't really have much backing him up. They have a walk-on in, in Trenton Borgay. And so, you know, if, if Jaden Daniels is on the field for every single one of these games, they keep him healthy, they keep him COVID-free, uh, then I, I don't see a reason why this defense wouldn't give him the ability to get wins. Okay, I, I so just, so who wins the North? I'm I'm leaning toward Oregon. And then who wins between Oregon and Arizona State? I think I just run run back last year's result. Arizona State winning? Yeah. And that, my friend, ends our podcast today. <laughs> you, you have lost it. You have you have gone off the deep end. And people, oh, so what you're saying is it's impossible for Arizona State to do the exact thing that they just got done doing. Yes. Yes. Why? Hey, a broke clock is right twice a day. Last year, the clock was broken. And that was a wake-up call for Oregon. They needed a new offensive coordinator. They needed – and Joe, Joe Moorhead is going to be the differentiator. And, yeah, the, the, the talent level is going up on the team, everything – I think they're unstoppable. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. And I know people are going to call me a homer, but I'm being serious. No, like, this podcast has done absolutely nothing for our reputation of being an Oregon, Arizona State podcast. Nothing. <laughs> we, in fact, I'm pretty sure we hurt ourselves today. <laughs> Hopefully people stop listening with like 20 minutes left in the show. Well, we make sure that you guys not, leave a five. Not, not knowing Max Borgie's name, so we just lost Pullman. Yep. Yeah, we're, yeah. This we're we're done. Let's <laughs> well, make sure that you guys leave a five star podcast rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure you share with a friend. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we will be back every week. All right, peace out. Catch you guys later. <laughs>